Hello and welcome to the Grapeseed Official Podcast. For this episode, our guest is Miklos Feyer, a former Grapeseed teacher who is now a Grapeseed evangelist, spreading the good word of our program with schools and parents throughout Japan. We'll be opening the box of Unit 18, going through each teaching component and discussing things you should keep in mind as you teach Unit 18 in your own classrooms. Welcome back to the podcast, Miklos. Thank you, sir. I am excited to talk about Unit 18. Great, let's get right into it and open the box. First, we have the song, If I Could Really Fly. Yeah, this is another I would consider to be one of Grapeseed's greatest hits, uh, if there was such an album, because kids love it, parents love it. And this song actually doesn't appear in the lesson plans until the sixth lesson of the unit. In lesson six, the lesson plan says to ask the class, if you could fly, where would you fly? Would you fly in the air with the birds? For my part, when I see instructions like this on the lesson plan, I think to myself, as we should with all the components all in all units, of course, but uh, I just think, what, it, what do you think your students are going to say to that? What if they don't say anything? This is the first time you sing the song. Surely some kids are going to talk. You've, you're always going to have a class of shy kids and gregarious kids uh, or kids who just, just love to just... just Say something, even if it doesn't answer your question. But when it comes to the lesson plan, and a question like this, with this particular component, I just started thinking, um, am I planning correctly? Am I planning accordingly? Having the lesson plan in your hand doesn't mean that your planning is done for you. Having the lesson plan in your hand means that you now have to think about things like this. What are your students likely going to say? And what if they don't say anything? And if we, either way, what are you going to do? Are you ready for what happens when you attempt to ask that question to your students? Yeah, predicting student responses like you touched on can be really tricky for teachers to do, especially teachers without a lot of grapeseed experience. So for teachers that are like that, that are struggling with that anticipation factor, they can think of student responses in kind of three camps as they prepare for their lesson. They can think of, okay, this is the early part of the unit, the first time we're singing this song, so if I ask a question like that, normally what I can expect is a one-word answer. Okay, You can predict kind of the normal response for where you are in the unit. But it's also helpful to predict if your students aren't able to achieve that, what if there's dead silence in your classroom? What are you going to do? Yeah, right. And then also the opposite of that, if your students really love the song, if they're really starting to incorporate language and they're giving you full sentence thoughts from the first exposure, what are you going to do then? So thinking of it in these kind of three categories can help teachers anticipate how they're going to respond to the way their students respond to their questions. So normal, a little bit under, and a little bit over. Yeah, and on that note too, uh, something that's really important as well is um, these verbs, uh, I had to look it up actually, these are auxiliary verbs, would, could, and should. They're confusing, and you need a lot of context to understand what they mean, and even more context and practice to, to get the hang of using them. So starting with recognizing the meaning and then slowly building so that we get to, to, to verbal output is, is key instead of, yeah, of course, remembering the, the key part of, of, of teaching grapeseed. Never force output, encourage it. Great, solid point. Another thing to note here is that this song isn't particularly fast in terms of tempo, but in those early exposures like Miklos is talking about, it can be too fast for students to hear clearly, especially when you get to parts like, but since I can't really fly, then I shouldn't try to fly in the air with the birds. That's a long sentence, and if you sing it at tempo, 
from day one that you hear on the audio file, then it can be tricky for students to really understand that complete sentence. So slow it down a little bit to set your students up for success. Yeah, set them up for success. All right, second song. I went to see my best friend. This is another installment in the song series targeting the past tense of a regular verb. So in this song, we're specifically focused on shake shook, throw through, run ran, catch caught, slide slid, make made, stand stood, and leave left. So help build comprehension with your students by giving them a command, wait until they do it, then ask the class what that student did. For example, Bobby, shake this ball. Wait for Bobby to shake it, then ask the class, what did Bobby do? Yes, he shook the ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's, that's another one in the series. We've got just a few more to go uh, before the series ends, spoiler alert. Something that I saw someone do, uh, a really nice teacher do not too long ago was um, when introducing the next song in this series, I wish I could claim this idea as my own, I'm gonna be honest and say it wasn't my idea, but make it into a reveal. Like, because by this point, after, well, from unit 11, okay, the kids, they, they get the first one. And then in unit 12, they go, oh, this is another one, kind of like that last one, okay. And then by unit 13, they're kind of getting into the, oh, wow, this is this is a thing now. So I saw this teacher kind of make it into a reveal. So on, uh, for example, if it was this one on unit 18 with I want to see my best friend, um, the first time you teach it, make it a big deal. Put the card up on the board, but cover the title and just show the picture. This is what this teacher did. And the first time you teach it, see if the kids can guess who they're gonna go see. And then you say, yes, it's I went to see, I went to see my best friend. And then the kids go, yay! And it's sort of a, it's a fun way to introduce the next song. And then they really look forward to the next one in the next unit. And then also in that first lesson, the lesson plan says that we should ask the class, what was the child's best friend shaking? And the kids may or may not answer. They'll say, they'll, you know, some kids will say something. And then you follow up with, so what did he do? And, and the, the instructions also tell us to model the sentence after students respond. Yeah, I really like that idea, especially if you combined that with the reveal that you were talking about before. So when you're gonna reveal the title of the song, you can also go with the picture walk with your students through the different pictures in the material and try to have them predict what the song's going to be about. By this time, they know the present tense verbs. They might not know the past tense forms yet. So you can ask questions in the present tense, getting students to answer with the language that they know, and then really reinforce it when you start singing the song for the first time. Yeah, exactly. All right, next up, the special song. There's a pretty good chance that kids, that the kids in your class have heard you or other adults or other people in their world use the word special before. That is a word that is used a lot, especially around kids. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's this. Oh, today's a special day. Or this is not going to be the first time they've heard it. It's going to be the first time maybe that they've heard it and used in this in a specific way. It's it's the name of the song. It's it's a it's a target uh, vocabulary word in this song. But um, yeah, in the years it takes to get to Unit 18. It would be surprising if your kids never heard the word special. Don't assume that they know what it means or even how to use it, but we can rest assured that, that they've had some exposure to the word special, but maybe not practice. So our job here is to use the word special in context and when it's appropriate interactions with students uh, in and out of lesson time and, and use it with meaning and, and, and use it in that kind of nice way like, you know what, today is a special day because we are going to do this and this and this or um, uh, I love this song because it's so special or boys and girls, you are so special to me. There's so many great ways to use special with purpose. 
Another really simple way to do that is to get a bunch of different pencils. So they can all be the same size and color, but have one that is different. So whether that's color, or a certain character on it, a certain size. So make sure that students can all see the entire set of pencils and say that you want to use the special pencil, picking it up and using it to write something. That's just another really simple way from an early exposure to show students what special is and how it can be used. Yeah, oh, I like that. I wish I thought of that. So let's move on to perfect shoes. <sighs> perfect shoes. Wow, we had special and now we have perfect. This is a very positive thinking unit. Uh, like with the other language that you use in context and interactions with students, and with purpose, uh, do the same thing with perfect. The same thing that, I, uh, that we just talked about with special, uh, do it with perfect too. Uh, that's what this song is for. Notice what happens in the lesson plans with this song. In lesson one, you ask students, are your shoes too big or too small? Do they fit you perfectly? Are they perfect shoes? And in lesson two, uh, the plan says for us to uh, show your shoes. Tell the class what size they are. Um, use a student's shoe and say what size they are. Lesson three says, ask the class to stand up and reach to the sky. Tell the class that uh, hand-me-downs are clothes, uh, shoes, or other things handed down from an older brother or sister. This will make sense to most kids. And lesson four says, make a pile of toys, erasers, or shoes that show what a pile is, like in the song. And sing the song as you point to the pictures and use gestures. Tell the class uh, the word worn means old. They'll get that immediately. Uh, have the class sing along quietly the second time. Um, but the reason I brought up these first four lessons uh, uh, and the instructions is because I keep having to remi remind myself, and I talk about it with teachers uh, all the time, and parents as well too, because parents will ask questions like this uh, to teachers and to, uh, to, to, to me as the, as the grapeseed evangelist. Um, and it's important to remember and, and spread the word that we don't drill or ask the same questions over and over again. That leads to memorized responses, and that is not authentic communication. Everything is always fresh and fun and full of variety, and it, it's always connected in a straight line back to the learning objectives. But uh, even though we're asking different questions, they all have the same goal, and kids will be able to think about responses or verbally respond uh, or l understand the meaning of the component more deeply. But, uh, but if we just ask them the same questions every day, that, well, first it's boring, and second, kids will just start memorizing answers, and then they, they, they'll stop responding, and they'll stop talking from their heart, and they'll just, just retrieve that information from their memory of what the teacher wants to hear, and that's not fun. That's not what we do. Yeah, a couple good points to make on top of the great things Mikolos just said. One, depending on the country that you're living in, worn can sound a lot like warm, to the students. <laughs> yes. So be really clear with your pronunciation and bring in something worn to show students what it means in this context. Also, Miklos had mentioned that in some of the lesson plans, it talks about picking out particular students and showing off their shoes to the rest of the class. Now, you know your students best. Some students might be very shy and don't want to be singled out like that. And also, some students might not be as economically privileged as some other students. So if they have shoes that are a bit more worn and you feel like it might be embarrassing for them to show it off, then pick a different student. Just always be sensitive to the feelings and the needs of your own students as you execute these lesson plans effectively. Let's move on to chance. First up, yes, I could. 
one of the first places that my eyes go to with every new component I'm going to teach is the quick checks because that gives you sort of a, a quick bird's eye view of where we're coming from, where we're going with each component. And the end exposures quick check on this one caught my eye. I think it's really important. It says, um, can students ask and answer the question, could? And then it says, find a friend and take turns asking each other what you could or couldn't do. Could you jump over a building? No, I couldn't. So stuff like that. I've noticed with a lot of the components in the quick checks and in the lesson plans, it always leads to kids talking with their friends. And because that's why we're here. Um, we're not here to just answer the teacher's questions all the time. We're not here to quote unquote study English. We're here to have fun talking with our friends and then carry that outside into the world and speak using English to make new friends and talk with them and share your ideas and your opinions. And this is where we practice doing that. And would, could, and should, in the case of this chant, uh, could, uh, they're used a lot in these units. From units 15 to 20, you'll just notice a lot of a lot of auxiliary verb usage and chants in some of the songs. It's interesting to notice how students interpret what you say, because would, could, and should, at first it's going to, kids will notice the difference in the words, but they're going to be working out in their mind what the difference is in what you're conveying to them. And it's important for us to use these words with purpose. And there are plenty of natural ways to use these kinds of auxiliary verbs without trying to force them into weird situations that could potentially confuse your entire class. Yeah, early on when you were talking there, Miklos, you touched on the end exposure quick check. And it's always a good policy for all teachers to, when they do open their box for the first time, when they open their teacher manual as well, look at the end exposure quick checks for each of these materials so then you know as you're teaching the unit where we're going. So whether you're teaching this the first time you expose your students to it, you're not going to be splitting your students up into pairs and having them talk using this language. It'd be ridiculous to expect them to master that from that first exposure. But if you know that by the end of the unit you want your students speaking full sentences in pairs, what can you start doing from exposure one to help get them to be successful that by the end of the unit, when you're wanting them to do things like that, they can do it successfully without any trouble? Let's go to the second chant. Do it again. I like to think about this as, as a potential action activity and even a and using it as a transition as well. I mean, we teach the component as, as a chant, of course, but we can use it in a flexible way. Like after, before or after we teach it, we can use something from within it to do a transition. So looking at the title of the chant, it's called Do It Again. And then if we look at the second line of each of these different verses, it says, I will do something again with a different verb. But the main focus of this material is on what you've just done. All the quick checks support this as well, early, middle, and end exposure. So look to start adding this to your normal classroom vocabulary as you're teaching. So after you do this for the first time, you can say, boys and girls, we just did do it again. Now let's go do the next material and name that by name. And just keep using that little by little to give your students even more exposure to this to help set them up for when they start to speak, they'll have had enough exposure and enough modeling from their teacher to be successful on their own. Yeah, this is a great chance too. And inevitably, there's going to be that one day when you start your class and you start, you know, you're, you're going to uh, get everything ready to go and uh, some boy or girl comes up and goes, oh, 
Uh, Mr. Miklos, uh, may I go to the bathroom? And then uh, that's when you can just say, hey, we just started class or something like that. Like it's a chance to just, you know, make it into it rather than going, hey, come on, we go to the bathroom before class. And you can turn, turn it into a teachable moment if you are ready to do that. Um, part of improvisation is preparation. So it's, it's good to just be ready with knowing exactly what all the learning objectives are for every component, what the key language is, and when those chances come up, you're ready to go. Everything's a teachable moment if you're a pro. Stay tuned for future podcasts where Miklos goes into being an improv master. Yes. Ironically, I had nothing to say to that. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Let's go to the action activity for Unit 18, Teacher May I. So in this action activity, you give the commands to your students to which they ask, teacher or Mr. or Mrs. may I, to which you can say, yes, you may, or no, you may not. The students then have to listen and follow what you said doing the action if you said, yes, you may, or not doing the action if you said, no, you may not. So you need to clearly explain this to your students before doing it for the first time and make sure students are following your directions even as you're going through the action activity. Yes, exactly. And but even before that, too, I would add, because I've been in this awful situation of going, oh, yeah, this, this action activity, I, I know how the action activities go. That, uh, it's probably the same as the one from the last unit or the you know, previous units, and they kind of look the same. It's not. Uh, you can't wing this, uh, especially on the first day out. Uh, prepare and practice and, and be ready, because if you don't intimately know how this action activity works, it's not going to be clear to your students and they're not going to have fun with it. And if it's not fun the first time out, you've just set yourself up for not having fun for the whole Absolutely. rest of the unit. And they're going to see you pull out that card and go, oh, not this again. My teacher has no idea what he's doing. If you're the kind of person who generally waits until the day of or the week of to look through your new unit or your new teacher manual or lesson plans, that's going to set you up for failure and your students will be really disappointed. Unfortunately, uh, this is years past, I can speak from a little bit of experience because there are times when I just wasn't ready and my students knew and it was a bummer and I'd never want to do that again because the look on their faces, they come to us to have fun. They come to us knowing that we're going to lead them through it in a just making wonderful memories. And if we're not ready to do that for them, they're going to be so bummed out. When it comes to this particular action activity especially, it's fun. It's really fun. I see it in classrooms all the time. The more you know how to lead this effectively and get students to the point where they can mix up the actions and see if they can keep up at a faster pace later in the unit, then your students are going to have an amazing time and they're going to look forward to this. They're not going to think of it as an action activity like we do. They're going to think of it as a game. And kids love games. They're going to go, oh, can we play that game? And that's what they'll think of it as. But you know it's an effective activity to help them master uh, thinking in English more effectively. Yeah, we never recommend winging it at all in Graveseed, but especially in these upper units, you just can't do it. The learning objectives and the language involved in these materials is so much more complicated than do you like red, for example. So you'll need to really be comfortable with not only your lesson plans themselves, but also the information in your teacher manual, including your quick checks on where are we going with this particular material, what are we trying to get our students to understand from it, to really be effective in the classroom. Poems, the baker. The timing is critical. We can't overextend these because they'll, they're fun while they last and they should only last about a minute and a half to two minutes. But beyond that, once we reach the goal for the day, 
then we, t- we need to move on. If we take too much time asking ineffective or uninteresting or repetitive questions and draw this out for three, four, five minutes, I've seen this, um, and I know uh, because it, it gets boring, and they won't look forward to it anymore, and we will lose time, critical time, for other important activities that have other important uh, learning objectives themselves. Just to frame your thinking as teachers, as we move from Unit 20 up to Unit 21, there's a big jump in reader and writer difficulty for our students. So in these last few units before Unit 21, we're trying to make sure that our students understand a lot of the skills that we've been teaching them for many units now. And if we look at the quick checks here for this particular material, they're all different. The early exposure quick check versus the middle exposure quick check versus the end exposure. They're all targeting different things because what we're really doing here is we're making sure students understand all these different concepts so that when we move on to these heavier duty reading and writing activities in unit 21 and up, that they're ready to go. They can hit the ground running. So if we're looking at early exposure quick checks, for example, can students use context to confirm? Middle exposure, can students recognize features of the text, such as ending punctuation? End exposure, can students participate in discussions using the language of the poem? These are all very different goals, but because we've been working on all of these concepts in earlier units, we're basically using them as a checklist. Okay, my student can do this, great. My students can do this, great. My students can do this, great. Then you can move on. Kind of like Miklos was saying, don't spend too long on these. Follow your lesson plans, get in, get out, hit your learning objectives, and use that extra time on other things. Great, working hard. I was just thinking, I've got two boys at home, uh, little boys, and I just always think to myself, who doesn't love bulldozers? Uh, They're fun, and I can't, and as a kindergarten teacher, I remember riding on the kindergarten bus on field trips or other things, and I, I don't, I can't remember ever being stopped at a traffic light next to a busy construction site, and like every kid, like not looking out the window and going, ooh, look at that, boys and girls. It reminds me that one of the keys to lowering the affective filter of students is that the topic that we're speaking about has to be interesting. And this is one of those components where that's easy to achieve because uh, bulldozers and construction and, uh, and dirt and stuff like that, power shovel, these things are intensely interesting. And so we don't have to try too hard to, to try to make it that. It's just, yeah, look, bulldozer, awesome. Let's, let's, let's talk about that. Kids are just like, yeah, love it. Yeah, if we're looking at the quick checks here, they echo that sentiment. They're less on concepts of print here, but they're a lot more on the language and the poems themselves. So we're teaching a couple extra words here like bulldozer, dump truck, power shovel. We're giving students the vocabulary necessary to express how much they like these things or how much they're interested in them. Last up, fire. Another exciting topic, something I just reminded myself of, which uh, when looking at all this is let students read first. Always let students read shared reading components first at this stage. Uh, The lesson plans will remind us of that most of the time. Uh, But uh, by by this time, if, if we are reading the poems first, we are selling our students short on being able to show off their reading ability first. Because if we read it first, then the there's a chance that they'll, they'll just not read, they'll just copy what we just said. But if they read it first, they are practicing the skill of reading. On another note here, it's good to bring back some older units, bring back the audio files to get students in the mood or kind of jog their memories of vocabulary they've already learned. So one thing you can do on the first day when you teach this material 
as your students are coming into the classroom, you can have the firefighter song from Unit 8 play in the background as they come into the classroom. So as they're sitting down in their chairs getting ready for the lesson of the day, they're already thinking in this language. And if we look in the actual text of this material, it mimics a lot of that same language. So you can put your students in the world of the firefighters yeah, it sets up an, an atmosphere of, oh, yeah, I like that song. And students might not even be aware that they're reminiscing about, oh, yeah, I like that song. The fire goes up higher, higher. They might not even be aware that they're accessing previously learned language and, and getting ready to talk about this new context of uh, fire and firefighters. Exactly. Great. Let's move on to big books. My Bike. Yes, again, we have a popular character who comes back, uh, and uh, most teachers, I'm Coco pretty Chan. sure, are familiar with Coco. Like, uh, because of that, kids will be naturally drawn to the visuals in this big book. But we can't forget the, uh, the most important parts of this. I mean, it's the fluency objectives for this component that really catch my eye. With this material, we also want our students to really add everywhere to their vocabulary if it already isn't a normal staple. But we also run the risk of asking similar questions to the point where students just start spitting out a rote answer, a memorized answer, kind of like Miklos was talking about previously in another material. So we don't want our students just to spit out, where does your bike take you? Everywhere. You ask some other students, everywhere. <laughs> That'll happen. <laughs> We don't want them just to spit out something that, that's quick and easy that they think the teacher wants. We want them to answer what's true to themselves. So if you start noticing that students are using certain answers like everywhere as a rote response, then try to encourage them to come up with something different as opposed to just allowing a few students just to shout out everywhere and then moving on with your lesson. Yeah, it's fun to share your ideas. And if we model and encourage, then we can do that. Model where you ride your bike. Great, let's go on to what do you want to be? This is the question that every kid gets asked all the time. Uh, yeah, and I'm sure as you as a teacher, if you think back uh, to what your teachers asked you, what do you want to be when you grow up? You can probably remember saying, oh yes, I wanted to be a grape seed teacher. And, uh, of course. Yeah, I didn't say that. I said I wanted to be Santa Claus. Um, and then they called my mom and I had to have a parent <laughs> conference. Um, yeah, and then by the end of this unit, students will be able to talk about or uh, express what they want to be when they grow up. Uh, they can probably already do that because uh, we've, we've talked about uh, occupations and things like this before. And again, this is a shared reading component, so the, uh, the focus is on, you know, um, concepts of print and reading and, and things like that. But, uh, the, but talking and you know, participating in discussions is part of the goal, too. Yeah, I'd like to reinforce Mikolos' point here that it's a fun conversation to have if you have that extra time to talk about these concepts. But the main focus of this particular material, if we're looking at the quick checks, they're on concepts of print, things like counting sentences and ending punctuation, and also titles and how they're used. So if you do save some other time from doing another material a little bit more quickly than the lesson plan calls for, you can spend that time here having a little discussion about the language in it after you've already hit the learning objectives for that given day based on what your lesson plan says. Okay, last big book, who will come? Oh, I love this one because kids love to joke with this and we should encourage that uh, while staying focused and efficient. And so if you say, oh, uh, if, you have, if you have a fire at your house, who will come? And of course, you know, we're looking for an answer like, oh, the firefighter will come. Uh, but always, there's always some smart alky kid who'll just be like, um, 
Nobody or Coco or Johnny Bear or something like that. And it's really, really funny. But also note that uh, when we ask questions like that, uh, if we have a fire at our house, who will come? If we, if we don't feel well, who will come and help us? Um, that we don't ask the same. I, I look through all the lesson plans and the same questions are never asked twice. If students memorize an answer, then they're not going to be speaking authentically. Every question that we ask is asked with purpose and with a reason, and it's always connected directly to the learning objective, but we're not going to drill the same question over and over again just to see, to, just to get a response. There's a lot of pressure on us as teachers, a lot of pressure when we have parents and other guests come and watch our lesson. We need to get kids talking to show what the result is, but we can do that better and more authentically by by following the plan and not asking the same questions over and over and not making it into a quote-unquote performance because people can see that. And if kids just go, a firefighter will come to my house and help us, and people will just go, well, that's not very good. But if, if the question is fresh and new and kids go, you can see them thinking about an answer and forming something, and, and, and it's the first time they've ever heard that you know particular question, then... Uh, for yourself, for for the for the kids and their motivation and their 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 sense of achievement and being able to communicate something, and then for the people who might be watching, parents, your boss, the principal, um, other guests, uh, parents of potential uh, students might come and watch, and they'll say they'll think to themselves, yeah, those kids, uh, they heard a question and they and they answered really naturally and authentically, like they've never heard that question before, and they didn't hear that question before, but they know how to answer it because we've we've been using the grapeseed spiral curriculum the way it's meant to be used. Great point. One extra thing to note here is that there are a lot of sentences with question marks and exclamation points. So as you're having your students read through the big book, make sure they're reading it with expression. Uh, model as necessary. And just know that maybe the first exposure when they're trying to read this new arrangement of words they already know, they might struggle a little bit and read robotically, but if that continues, then you'll want to model and encourage them to read with more expressive fluency. Let's move to stories. Marvin goes to the city. Yeah, a lot of Marvin Monkey coming back in Unit 18. Good. Uh, we love Marvin Monkey. The story is about asking questions uh, so that kids can convey information and participate in discussions, but we don't drill questions. Another thing we note when we open up the teacher manual here, besides those quick checks and the focus on the story, are the long list of vocabulary being taught with this one. Oh, so there's, yeah. It's fun, and there's a lot of vocabulary to teach. So with stories like this, it's really important that we're very accurate and clear when we point. It's essential for our students to comprehend the material, especially in early exposures. So go through the story, you're always going to be practicing materials anyway, but practice a couple more times than you normally would with this particular story, just so you know exactly where you're pointing and think about how you're going to clearly point things out as you're telling the story expressively. Great. So moving from one story with a lot of new vocabulary to one with no new vocabulary, Marvin's Morning. Yeah, Marvin again. Um, uh, something I just I jotted down as a note when uh, thinking about this component. Again, auxiliary verbs. Would, could, should. Yep. This is another place where we practice should in a different context. And it's important, again, too, I think uh, we spent a lot of time on this episode talking about quick checks, but that's, that's so important. The end exposure quick check for this particular story is, can students use the language from the story to have a conversation with their friends? Find a friend and take turns telling each other some things we should do 
and some things that we shouldn't do. And there are a lot of those things. We probably talk about them every day. Uh, if you have, whether you're a teacher w with your kids in school, or if you're a parent with your kids at home, or if you're just <laughs> yelling at some kid running in the restaurant you're eating at, uh, we shouldn't do that. Or, you know, we should be nice. We should, uh, we should help our friends. We shouldn't fight. We should be nice to each other like Johnny Bear. I'd like to circle back to what you mentioned about the end exposure quick check here. Can students use the language from the story to have a conversation with their peers? Find a friend and take turns telling each other some things we should do and then some things we shouldn't do. Now, think about how carefully crafted that is. We're asking students to talk in a general sense about things that we as a class should be doing or shouldn't be doing. Now, if you try to wing this material, you might put your students on the spot and try to get your students to tell you a mistake that they've made. But that becomes personal for them. And they don't want to share that with you. They don't want to share that with anybody else because mm -hmm. nobody likes to talk about mistakes you've made. So if you want to highlight that and provide a little more exposure and some more examples for your students, come up with things to say about yourself, mistakes that you've made, but don't really expect your students to really open up and be open with a class of 20 other kids at most of what mistakes they've made because then they're inviting ridicule, right? Yeah, I saw a student a while back who, it wasn't when they was teaching this particular component, but it was using the language. And I'm, and I'm very sure that the, the contextual practice that comes from this component helped with the student because the teacher finished the lesson plan early, had a few minutes left over, and he just kind of said to himself under his breath, he's like, hmm, what should we do? He was just kind of like getting some stuff off the table. And he said, what should we do? And one boy just, <laughs> he just blurts out, we should go outside. And uh, everyone laughed, including myself, and it was funny. And I'm uh, sure that it's it's this kind of practice and this kind of context that helps students get to the point where they can just spontaneously say something from the heart that's true and that um, expresses their opinion and desire. That's a great story. Speaking of great stories, look at that professional segue. Yes. Let's go on to Toby the fire truck. Yeah, Toby the fire truck. I was rereading this story. I hadn't read it in a while. And... I realize that there's kind of a scary part in here. There's that part where about being sent away to the place where fire trucks go when they can't work anymore. That's uh, that's scary. And as an adult, I, as a middle-aged adult, I have a, <laughs> I, I can really um, uh, connect with with that scary part of the story. Little kids, maybe they'll just kind of go, "Ooh, I don't want to go there." Um, but uh, it, it reminded me, as pre in preparing to read this story for students to practice it and be specific with, um, with choices that you're going to make about how you express and convey meaning, and the more feeling and expression you pour into this story, the more students are going to connect with them emotionally. Great point. So we always talk about with stories, pointing, gesturing, using facial expressions, and sometimes props. So it can be helpful when you're first thinking about a story, open up your teacher manual and game plan how you're gonna go about telling it. Now with something like Toby the fire truck, we look there's not a lot of vocabulary that's new in this material. So of course pointing's still going to be relevant and necessary at times, but it's not going to be nearly as important as Marvin goes to the city, for example, with a lot of vocabulary. But like Mikolos touched on, there's a big emotional component to this story. So when you're practicing, when you're thinking about your approach and how you're going to teach it effectively, for something like this, you'll want to really rely a lot more on facial expressions to convey the meaning, less on pointing and gesturing, still incorporating those where necessary. 
Whereas something like Marvin goes to the city, your facial expression won't be as important as pointing. So think about these verbal skills tools and how you're going to approach it and what tool you're going to use from your tool belt to be most effective. Yeah, exactly. And um, on the subject of emotions, I was just flipping through the the later lesson plans and looking at uh, the teaching instructions. And on the lesson 27, it says that, that you should let the class say the story with you as you point to the pictures and then ask the class, have you ever been sad? Why were you sad? And in my mind, I was picturing what I would do. How will I prepare for student responses? Or what kind of responses can I expect, if any? Maybe there won't be any responses. Maybe kids will be reluctant to say when they were sad, um, because it's sad. <laughs> um, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? And uh, are you going to model it? Are you going to model an answer and encourage students to speak, um, uh, or are you just move on? Are you, are you going to turn the question around and say, "Oh, well, how about a time when you were happy? Why were you happy?" Um, and and then also considering, in order to answer that question, think of all of the practice from learning objectives from other components mm. across units that will come into play when, when attacking that learning objective, or when attacking that moment in your class. Yeah, when we model answers, we're not only modeling how students can build a sentence or how students can use a specific vocabulary word, we're also setting kind of a baseline of what responses we're expecting. So if you ask your students questions like, why were you sad or have you ever been sad and you want to model a sentence, think of something appropriate. Don't say, I was sad once because my grandmother died. It's not something good to say in your classroom. You can say, I was sad because yesterday I was eating ice cream and my brother ate my ice cream or something like that. Keep it something small and reasonable because like we've been talking about before, students are sensitive. Students aren't going to want to share about mistakes they've made or things that have made them deeply sad. But if you set the baseline answer for your modeling as something that's kind of a little sad, like your ice cream being stolen, then your students will internalize that and then they'll be more willing to share their own slightly sad answers as opposed to something that's really deeply troubled them. Yeah, and if they do decide to share that, then that's their choice. Praise it and be, again, this is where we are better off and more prepared as a teacher if we use our prep time to plan for those things, Mm. uh, not writing the plan, uh, which we don't need to do anymore, of course, but we need to be ready for those things. Like, what if my students, uh, what if you happen to know that one of your students' grandmother did actually pass away recently? They might mention that in class. They might not. They might get sad even just asking a question about ice cream, but uh, we need to be be ready for when kids say things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard stories of teachers who have brought up other materials and students have mentioned family members that, for example, in the big earthquake in Japan, they lost a family member and they brought it up in class. So you have to know that sometimes when you ask a question, students might come out of left field with an answer like that. And you'll have to be able to roll with the punches and move on and redirect to something more positive while also making your students feel safe. Yeah, that question, uh, have you ever been sad? Why were you sad? Whoa, there's a lot that can be, uh, a lot of potential uh, responses to that. So we have to be ready for the full uh, the full onslaught of what students might say. But it's still important language that students need to practice using so that when they're expressing themselves to other people, other people or other friends in the future, that they have the vocabulary, they have the practice necessary to be able to convey those thoughts. But we still want to do it in a scaffolded, safe environment in our classrooms. Safe, exactly. Low affective filter. Okay, let's talk about camping in the snow now. 
specifically with Johnny and Jenny Bear. Yes, I love that this is about camping in the snow because I was talking with someone uh, recently about camping in the snow and they were looking at me uh, like I was a crazy person. And I said, you've never been camping in the snow? I was, I was a Boy Scout when I was a kid. Even though I grew up in California, we go to the mountains and camp in the snow. And it's really fun. And they're just like, isn't it freezing cold? I'm like, yeah, it's cold. It's, it's snowing. But it's not as cold as you think. And, uh, and kids, they're going to be interested in this because uh, some kids, maybe they, depending on where you live, where you're hearing this and where you teach, maybe it doesn't snow where you live. Maybe, but then maybe, even if you don't, maybe some kids went with their family to a place where there is snow and maybe they went camping. Um, but it's fun. And if kids have never been camping in the snow, uh, then ask them about camping in general. Uh, help them connect to it, even if they haven't done the specific thing that's in the story. But use the lesson plan questions to help students understand the story more deeply. They'll understand it to a great extent, even from the first exposure, because this is all language and vocabulary from the previous unit. But um, And units before that as well, of course. It's important to to help students connect, even if they've never, like if you, if you go, hey, boys and girls, have you been camping in the snow? And they all go, no, <laughs> it's not game over. That's That means uh, <laughs> uh, that would be terrible, right? It's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Well, well, let's talk about first about Johnny and Jenny, about their experience camping in the snow. And, or what do, you th what do you think it might be like to go camping in the snow? Um, do you want to go camping in the snow? And some, of course, kids might go, yes, I want to try that. Go, no, it's too cold. Or, um, whatever they say is fair game. If they're expressing their, their honest, authentic opinion and thoughts about it. And the again, the lesson plans say in the student column that students should be contributing comments using words and phrases from the story. Um, this means that kids aren't just answering questions about the story. They are thinking about the story and telling us about their opinions and thoughts, uh, even if it's not a question, even if we just say something about the story. Like I said before, even if we just make a statement, yeah, uh, camping in the snow is fun. Expect a response. Uh, because <laughs> that's a controversial statement right there. Uh, some people may not, might not agree with that, especially kids who are just like, nope, no camping stuff for me. Or some kids going, yes, I loved it. I went with my dad uh, last month and it was so fun. Be ready to, for everything and anything uh, as a result of reading this really wonderful, colorful uh, story and have fun. Yeah, luckily in previous units, students have had a lot of exposure to other materials with a lot of winter theme in it. So even if it doesn't snow in the country that you're teaching in, Students will have they've seen enough cartoons that are not grapeseed as well as enough grapeseed materials that incorporate snow and winter and of course their teacher modeling or bringing in pictures that they've printed out from the internet of showing what snow is. So students will be able to conceptually at least understand it. But one really cool thing you can do in your classroom on days that you teach this is you can drop the temperature in your classroom a little bit more. Turn that thermostat down <laughs> Good a little bit so then the cooler's on. And if your students have jackets in the room, maybe encourage them to, if you can do this quickly, of course being time efficient is important. If you can have them do it quickly, have students go put on their jackets when it's cold in the classroom to listen to this Johnny Bear story. So they're kind of feeling like they're part of the scenery. They're in the mood a little bit more. That's a great idea. I never did that before, but uh, I wish I could go back and do that now. Uh, and I will pass that on when I see a chance to, because uh, yeah, like it's the imagination part. When you, it's it's the same when you go to a movie or read read a read a, a novel or uh, or listen to your teacher tell a story. It's suspension of disbelief, putting yourself in the story, and forgetting that you're quote unquote learning English, and focusing entirely on. I'm enjoying this story. I, I really, I want to find out what happens. Or I've heard it before, but I like, I like this part. Things like that. And that makes it more fun when you do things like that. Exactly. On that note, let's wrap up the conversation on Unit 18. So thanks again for joining the podcast, Miklos. Always a pleasure. 
Thank you for listening and good luck in the classroom. Hey everyone, do you have a question about grapeseed that you would like answered on this podcast? We will do some occasional mail carrier episodes where we answer your questions, so feel free to write in. You can email the show at mailcarrier at grapeseed.com. M-A-I-L-C-A-R-R-I-E-R at grapeseed.com. Keep in mind that we may not be able to answer everyone's questions on the podcast, but if you leave your contact info, including your country, we will make sure to get back to you, whether it is on the podcast or in a follow-up email. We look forward to hearing from you. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. I'm sad to say goodbye. It was a good day, but now I will say goodbye, my friends. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.